Good morning, church. It's a privilege to be here to bring God's word to you. I'm going to say another prayer, um, and then we'll dive into today's message. Let's pray. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we lift up your beautiful name, and we thank you, Lord, for the power of your word. Lord, that no matter when this word is preached, Lord, that if it goes out through the power of the Holy Spirit, Lord, then you will bear fruit. So, Lord, I pray that if any words I speak today are simply human words or even foolish words, and Lord, may they fall to the ground. But Lord, if they are a word from you, then Lord, may it sink deep into the hearts of those who are listening, and may they see you face to face. In Jesus' name, amen. When we read news headlines today, it could seem like it's just becoming more and more sensationalist every day. And sometimes it even seems like perhaps Maybe the world is coming to an end, that the apocalypse is upon us. Every day we're bombarded with this apocalyptic viral news and we just wonder what is going on. And this year certainly it's just crazy. And I saw this meme recently about the year 2020 and it was this lady kind of squinting out into the distance looking out and the meme says, me looking out to see what chapter in Revelation we are doing today. That's what it feels like sometimes for us. It just feels like the world is coming to an end and we're wondering what is going on. And there are times that we feel too that just the heaviness of our times. Today's passage, Paul is speaking to different apocalyptic expectations, but we might have the same sense or even a greater sense of needing to see the world change. We've been doing this series uh, on the fruit of the spirit and it's been so grounding to go through this very familiar text for many of us and yet to dive deep into each of the fruit. And today we're looking at the fruit of faithfulness. Our culture today emphasizes passion over faithfulness. And as Christians, we can be exhorted to change the world for Jesus. Now this is not a change the world kind of sermon. That's Jesus's job. And our job is simply to be faithful to God, to be faithful to live out the gospel of Jesus. And so we're going to explore today this, this concept of a quiet faithfulness to Jesus. And it's a, it's a quiet faithfulness that the Apostle Paul describes in this main text, 1 Timothy 2. And we're going to be looking at some other passages where Paul speaks about this quiet faithfulness as well. Now, Paul doesn't use the word faithfulness in any of these texts, but certainly the sense that is implied in it is a life of faithfulness to God. And we have to, see, we have to ask the question, what does he mean by this faithfulness, this, this idea of a quiet faithfulness? Now, I'm going to say this up front. So far, it probably sounds pretty harmless, but I'm going to give a fair warning. Some of you are just going to immediately resonate with this message and some of you may, as you listen, be internally cussing me out or perhaps cussing God out. And I would simply ask the spirit to apply his word as he only could. Now, when we talk about this idea of faithfulness in scripture, we must remember that it's primarily in the context of relationship. It's our relationship with God and God's relationship with us. And a definition I like to use for faithfulness is this consistently following and relating to Jesus through loving obedience. Consistently following and relating to Jesus through loving obedience. But let's dive into today's text. Again, 1 Timothy 2, verses 1 through 3. First of all, then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving be made for all people, 
for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. The main point we're going to see is, is simply this. God has made peace with us. Therefore, live in quiet faithfulness for the gospel. God has made peace with us. Therefore, live in quiet faithfulness for the gospel. Let's look at sort of the second part of that first. Live in quiet faithfulness to the gospel. In the context of this passage, we should understand that probably the first king that the audience is going to think about is the Roman emperor. And the Roman emperor in the early church here is the Roman Emperor Nero, who is known for his cruelty, for his persecution of Christians. And so the first thought we should have is if we are to pray, if Christians are to pray for Nero, then certainly for us in the U.S. today, we should pray for President Trump or pray for President Obama or pray for any president that we may or may not like. Even if you don't like a particular president or perhaps because you don't like a particular president, we as Christians are called to pray for them as fellow image bearers and because of the impact they have on peace, on justice, on shalom. Here again in this context, we hear these words, peaceful and quiet. Peaceful here means free from outside disturbance. Freedom of assembly to worship is dependent on outward peace. And so that first word peaceful refers to that. Quiet here means free from disturbance that comes from inside, an inner peace that we're all looking for. Now, again, the context of the passage shows that this outward peace and this inner quiet is for the purpose of the spread of the gospel. It's difficult to spread the gospel if there's just chaos all around. And so Paul says, pray for kings and those in high position so that they may be outward peace. But it's also difficult to spread the gospel if individuals are struggling greatly with inner turmoil. I know there are many brothers and sisters in our church and in our city who feel so much inner turmoil right now because of what's going on in our nation this week and with injustices that have been going on for centuries. Others may simply have, I shouldn't say simply, may have personal struggles or family struggles that's creating um, an inner turmoil that makes inner peace seem impossible. So much energy can be taken to try to quiet that inner turmoil that it seems hard to participate in the work of the gospel being shared and being lived out in our world. The gospel message, of course, is about Jesus bringing peace to this earth. But Paul here is talking about a, a temporal peace before Christ returns so that the gospel may continue to go forth into the world as effectively as possible. It's praying for a temporal peace so that eternal peace may happen for all humanity. But there is a, a secondary meaning too as well in this passage. The passage is a call to a living a life of peacefulness and quietness, to do nothing to create unnecessary disturbance through godliness and dignity, striving to be blameless before God and men. One commentator describes it as stillness in contrast with noisy commotion and merely bustling activity. Stillness in contrast with noisy commotion and merely bustling activity. I know for me, th those words are so convicting. It's so easy for me as a pastor to just busy myself with stuff, running from thing to thing. And in our modern, viral, social media, outreach, outrage-driven information overload society, stillness truly is a lost virtue. So many are really just running around living lives of noisy commotion and merely bustling activity. 
And honestly, we have to admit as Christians that sometimes we're just exactly the same. We're no better. We're either the same as everyone else or we channel the commotion towards Christian purposes, yet without an inner stillness in the Lord. And I just have to ask this question for all of, all of us. Can we seek Jesus in such a way to know how to find quietness of heart, stillness with the Lord in the very midst of a seeming lack of inner and outer peace? Now, just to be very clear, living in quiet faithfulness does not mean be quiet. For the introverts like me or the, the naturally quiet, this is not an excuse to not share the gospel with people through words. This is not an excuse to not be an advocate for others. Given what is going on in our nation, there's an absolute need for us to be advocates and allies against injustice. It's not a time to be quiet. The emphasis though of this quietness is a quietness of heart, not a quietness of words. I would even dare to suggest that it is this quietness of heart that enables the naturally quiet to speak the gospel with less fear and less anxiety but also the same quietness of heart is what enables the naturally loud and gregarious to quiet down enough to truly hear how people are hurting and to speak measured words of grace and gospel into their lives. It is this quietness of heart through Jesus that enables us to speak effectively and yet with self-care for ourselves as well. But let's take an even deeper dive into this idea of quiet faithfulness and see what else Paul says about this. The Apostle Paul talks about this as well, about a life of peacefulness and quietness in his letters to the Thessalonians. And it helps us to get a better grasp of what he means. In Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians 4, chapters 11 to 12, he says this, And to aspire to live quietly and to mind your own affairs and to work with your hands as we instructed you so that you may walk properly before outsiders and be dependent on no one. There's such an interesting contrast right here. It's, I mean, what a contrast to say, aspire to live quietly. It's not aspire to change the world for Jesus. And aspire can be translated amb ambition or strive. Be ambitious to live quietly. Strive to live quietly. Mind your own affairs, work with your hands. Paul also says in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verses 11 through 12, for we hear that some among you walk in idleness, not busy at work, but busy bodies. Now such persons we command and encourage in the Lord Jesus Christ to do their work quietly and to earn their own living. It seems that Paul is speaking to a Thessalonian church that have become fanatics and busybodies and somehow loafers as well. Some scholars believe it was because of misunder misunderstanding of Jesus' teaching on the end times. Some expected Jesus to return any moment and, and thus became fanatics and busybodies and loafers thinking they didn't need to live a normal life anymore. They did, they did not need to act as though this world is our temporal home, though we are in exile. Now, some Christian traditions so emphasize Christ's return that it can, again, warp our sense of living a quiet faithfulness to the Lord. But I think the greater influence today in our church, not in our church, in the church, is the secular influence, that we do not need to live as though Christ will return at all. 
We might believe it theologically, but functionally, we live as secularists. If we live as though God does not exist or as though God is not in control, then we might become fanatics and busybody, trying to make happen in this world what only God can make happen. We can become loafers when we buckle under the seeming meaninglessness of this world and our puny efforts to change the brokenness that we see around us. Now for us as Christians today, we, we have the benefit of knowing that the Lord hasn't returned in 2000 years. The early church did not have this benefit. Many of them thought Jesus would return any day. And yes, for us too, Jesus could return any day to bring heaven down to earth, but Jesus could also wait another 2000 years. So that means we are called still yet to live quietly faithful lives for Jesus and his kingdom, trusting Jesus to use our faithful, broken human words and efforts for his kingdom to somehow bring in his kingdom. And make no mistake, we will not usher in Christ's kingdom in, a, in all its fullness. We will not create heaven here on earth. King Jesus will. But let's take a look at the second half of today's main text in 1 Timothy 2 to see what is to power this faithfulness that we're called to. Verse 3 says this, this, meaning leading a peaceful and quiet life, this is good and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. These three verses point us to this simple truth that God has made peace with us. And that is what empowers our ability to be faithful to him. I love it in scripture when we have these little nuggets of the gospel, the gospel explained in perhaps just slightly different or unique words that give us a beautiful summary of what the gospel is. And we, we have it here in these three verses. We hear God's heart described when in verse four, it says that God desires all people to be saved. We know that his heart is love and his heart is to see people to come to know him. But we see also here in verse five that there is but one God. There's only one name under heaven by which we must be saved. And that there's only one savior, one mediator between God and men. And that is Jesus Christ. And we know that it is this Jesus who was both God and man who gave up his life on the cross as a ransom, as atonement for all who would trust in him. This is just the gospel and just such a beautiful nugget for us to remember. This is what empowers us to live a peaceful and quiet life for the sake of the kingdom of God, for the sake of the gospel. If you're listening today and you're wondering, you've been seeking and, and you, 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 you're not ready to call yourself a Christian. You're not ready to say that Jesus is Lord and Savior. I wanna invite you to believe in this gospel that's encapsulated in these few verses, this beautiful truth that God is the one who brings peace between him and humanity. We're all looking for that inner peace. We're all looking for the thing, the person, the God who would bring peace to this earth. That's the promise of God. And he has proven his love and his power over all the brokenness of this world through his work 
on the cross and his resurrection from the dead. I hope that you would, you would choose to believe that this is indeed, um, that Jesus indeed is who he says he is and that you would put your faith in him. Paul uh, says here again in 1 Thessalonians 4, there's something very interesting that helps us Christians remember that our lives are meant to be a witness uh, to those who have yet to, be, to believe. He says there, and to aspire to live quietly so that you may walk properly before outsiders. And Paul's simply saying that, that Christians' lives are, are a witness to the gospel of Jesus. But if we're to be honest as Christians, we know that our lives are not always good witnesses to those who don't believe, that sometimes we're in fact a stumbling block for those who have yet to believe. But here in this context, Paul is referencing how in the culture of the time, people respected those who took individual and social responsibility, but disrespected those who were fanatics and busybodies and loafers. And so yes, for us as Christians, we live our lives as a witness for God and our weaknesses display our need for Jesus and all of humanity's need for Jesus. And our strengths can point to God's work in us as well. Here's the thing. When we believe the gospel, our relationship with Jesus changes everything we do. Our life becomes a witness to who God is and what God is doing. And it's difficult for Christians to live with the tension that's described in today's message. Live in quiet faithfulness to the gospel and the gospel changes everything. Aspire to live quietly. This may sound crazy, but sometimes we Christians talk about the gospel in a way that's almost removed from relationship with Jesus, removed from the oneness we have with Jesus. And when we talk about the gospel enough in a way that's removed from relationship with Jesus, then slowly we lose our relationship with Jesus and the gospel becomes just another cause. The gospel is not a cause. And if we make it a cause, then we will um, open ourselves up to burnout and maybe even to spiritual abuse. The gospel is God reconciling humanity to himself and remaking this world. The gospel message is God has made peace with us through the death and, death and resurrection of Jesus. We are able, or perhaps more accurately enabled, to live in quiet faithfulness through the, to the gospel because God has made peace with us. So I exhort you to live in quiet faithfulness for the gospel. I wanna make a turn here towards application. Again, the biblical message is not change the world for Jesus now. It is as the gospel author Mark says, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand, or as other translations say, is near, has come near, is here. Repent and believe in the gospel. The best thing you and I can do is to consistently integrate our faith into our lives, into everything that we do, rather than loudly and anxiously serving the kingdom of God. And I hope that you hear that the message today is really not about how loud or quiet you are in your faith, but it is about what drives you. Christians are meant to be driven by love, by God's love for humanity and the Christian's loving response to the love of God. I wanna give you three eyes 
to think about for application as you think about living in quiet faithfulness in response to the gospel. The first is this, integration of gospel in life. Sometimes we think of the gospel as just this thing that we believe in to enter into a relationship with God or enter into the kingdom of God. But the gospel is meant to permeate every part of our life, to be lived out and believed each and every day. And so I ask you this, if, if God's kingdom has come through the work of Jesus on the cross, then how does that change everything that you do? We are called to think more and more upon how we integrate the gospel into every area of our life. The second I is an internal sense of calling. So often we're living in response to external callings. Perhaps it's what we think um, our parents want us to do, what we think society wants us to do, what we think looks good to other people. Perhaps it's just what we think is cool. And the Christian's call is very different. It's a call that comes from God and yet at the same time comes from within because the Holy Spirit it's God's deposit within us and is at work in us to call us to his work. I often challenge Christians with this question. What does your job have to do with the kingdom of God? What does your job have to do with the kingdom of God? I find that most Christians can't answer that question for themselves. But I think it's vital that we can. You spend 40, 50, 60, 80 hours a week at your job. Do you have any idea how it connects with the kingdom of God? Do you even know whether you believe God wants you there, that he has called you to that job? If you are throwing your hands up in the air thinking, Didi, I don't know how to answer that question. This is a great time to wrestle, to ask trusted advisors, to ask your pastors to help you wrestle through that question. The third eye is this, intentionality in life. We believe in an infinite God, but we are finite as people. You only have so much time, energy, talent, interest. You have to make intentional choices in life. We can't do everything. We can't be good at everything. We can't be involved in everything. We have to make choices to know how to invest our limited resources into the life that God has called us to. I wanna end just with this picture. The iPhone, first generation was released in 2007. Instagram was launched in 2010. But 20 years ago, pastor, author, theologian, and paraphraser of the entire Bible through the message, the late Eugene Peterson wrote this book titled, A Long Obedience in the Same Direction, Discipleship in an Instant Society. His book is needed today, so much more than even 20 years ago when he first wrote it. It could be easily titled today, Discipleship in an Instagram Society. But in this book, he says this, hoping does not mean doing nothing. It is not fatalistic resignation. It means going about our assigned tasks, confident that God will provide the meaning and the conclusions. It is not compelled to work away at keeping up appearances with a bogus spirituality. It is the opposite of desperate, panicky manipulations of scurrying and worrying. And hoping is not dreaming. It is not spinning an illusion of fantasy to protect us from boredom or our pain. It means a confident, alert expectation that God will do what he said he will do. It is imagination put in the harness of faith. 
It is willingness to let God do it his way and in his time. And so I want to exhort you, church, trust the Holy Spirit to call you and to motivate you. And as a pastor, I commit to inviting and equipping you to God's work. As a pastor, I commit to not guilting you or shaming you into God's work. And as a pastor, I commit to trusting God's timing in his larger work and his work in your life. And when I fail, I will ask for your and God's forgiveness. Sometimes it feels like the world is coming to an end, but our time and our lives are in God's hands. His kingdom has already come and is still yet coming in its fullness. Will you commit to a quiet life of faithfulness to the gospel? Will you commit to integrating the gospel into every area of your life so that Christ may shine through? Will you commit to seeking the Holy Spirit's internal call upon your life and vocation? And will you commit to living intentionally to the Lord? But perhaps most importantly, will you rest in Jesus' commitment to you displayed on the cross? Will you rest in his loyal love for you? Will you rest in the Father's faithfulness to relate to you? Will you rest in the Spirit's work in the kingdom of God now and forevermore? Let's pray. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, you are the one who has been faithful. You are the one that has been faithful to a people that are broken. And so, Lord, we rest in you because it is in resting in you that we find that quietness of heart that enables us to be faithful to you, to doing good in this world, trusting you, Lord, to bring in your kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen.